Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. Welcome to With Friends Like These. Today is the day we check in with my friend and yours, Rick Wilson, former practitioner of the dark arts on the Republican side, now one of us. Rick, hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. I had some good news yesterday afternoon that the new book uh, premiered on the New York Times uh, hardcover bestseller list at number five and on the combined bestseller list, which is ebooks and hardcovers, at number four. My so goodness, I am, Rick. I'm in high spirits. You know, we talked once about how when you decided to go the never Trump route, you felt like you were risking things. You were risking your career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. And, 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 and it, you know, I, I was saying yesterday, I gave a speech last night at the Commonwealth Club, and I've, I've told you this before, you know, I sleep well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fine. I, I, don't, I don't ever, like, doubt that I'm doing the right thing. Um, but it does feel sometimes like you know, this was some sort of karmic moment of, of, you know, getting myself, pulling the ejection handle uh, at, at exactly the right moment in some weird, some weird personal ways. That might be a good segue to a question I was going to kind of put off. Uh, but I think it seems like a good time to ask because I did call you one of us. And I know that on policy questions, you've had some what's, you know, I would call evolution um, or considered changes, you might think. All right. And I know you've also have policies that you're still on the side that you were five years ago. Are you one of us, though? Like, do you think what, you know, or do we have teams? somebody just somebody know. just said this to me about five minutes ago on Twitter and some guy, some MAGA was like, oh, you're a Democrat. We always knew it. Herder. And somebody else responded. He's not a capital D Democrat. He's a small D Democrat. Hmm. And, and and I think that's that kind of struck me just a minute ago. And and I think in some ways, like my belief in individual liberty and in in concern over the scope and power of government and of of adherence to the constitution i mean those things have become much more pressing in my mind than these sort of ideological signposts that we always used to fight over all the time on tax rates and things like that i mean i i think that there's there's a a, a terrible gift trump has given us it's a this awareness that we have to have now of how the Huge fundamental things are the dividing line between light and dark, good and evil, and not just you know are you pro life or pro choice? Are you pro gun or anti gun? Are you are you you know pro taxes or no taxes? I it it just strikes me that there's a there's a moment here where like the bigger things are mattering more, especially to me. I mean, I, I, the other day somebody and I were were getting into this like wrangle about some stupid fight from like the the mid 2000s about uh, uh OMB and tax policy and debt stuff I was just like why that that's just like it it strikes me as like such a nothing burger now and and you know we've got this more existential moment before us I agree and it is hard for me however to describe it in terms of the exact choices we're being asked to make because I think it's a uncomfortable combination of big, big questions, like, do Mm -hmm. you want to see children in cages? 
right? Sure. That kind of question that that is that's a that's a big question. Yeah. Right, right. It should. I mean, it kind of. We shouldn't even have to ask it, but it's a. You know. <laughs> but here we are. <laughs> but here we are. Uh, and then you know, do you believe white supremacy is bad? That'd be another one that we shouldn't have to ask, but seems to be. Shouldn't have to. Before Unfortunately, us. kind of have it rubbed in our face all the time now. But then there are these other questions that I don't think get talked about as much because they're more subtle and more difficult, which is like, how do we prioritize these things? Uh, like, I, I assume, although I've never asked, like, that you are basically pro-life. You know— Oh, interesting. So I have an interestingly <laughs> contradictory point about this. Um, I am basically pro-life, but I am also a person who does not believe it's the government's business to tell people whether they can or cannot. Hmm. Um, oh, that is pro-choice, you know, Rick. I hate to tell you, but that well, is actually pro-choice. Well, I, I do think, though, I, I do think, though, that there – I think that the, the failing the Democrats have on this is a consistent – dismissal of the moral implications, mm-hmm. which I believe exist. And and while I don't think those outweigh individual liberty, um, and while, again, because I, as a conservative, I am so cautious about the power of the state being applied into the lives of individuals. and And I am so cautious about the the excesses of state control over individual behavior and while i while i can look at somebody who says that they want that that they don't think that there's any kind of moral question to a third trimester abortion based on you know just wanting to wanting to on convenience it's just a hypothetical okay um, I, I know but listen <laughs> while i can look at a person like that and say that's a moral choice First off, as a dude that I can't really, you know, fully graf- grapple with, but while I can say I, you know, I find that there are there there should be, or maybe I would feel moral reservations if I was in that position. On the second tier of that, I also do not want the government to be making a set of decisions and putting restrictions on a lot of things that are individual discussions and choices that that I think always expand. Hmm. I think I think restrictions like that always grow, and that's sort of the you know I'm not a hipster libertarian. I'm not one of the douchebag libertarians, but I am I am a person of enormous caution and restriction on when the government starts to make decisions that that come down to the very granular individual level like that. And this is a place where we agree. And I I think you and I have talked before about something that I I think should be a part of of what you just said when you explain it to other people, if I can just give you like a little pro tip, make you sound more woke. (laughs) Um, When you start putting those uh, restrictions on choices, they usually wind up harming people who are already marginalized. Like, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so when you do something that seems like a really obvious good thing, like restricting third trimester abortions, let's say, or see, that seems like a gimme to a lot of people. What winds up happening is like the people with the most need for access probably are the ones who are going to get affected. Right. Now, I will just say, politically speaking, the Democrats' insistence on a public defense of third trimester abortions is politically – I mean, 13 percent of Americans support third trimester abortions for any reason. That's a very small figure. 
and in places like Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Minnesota and Iowa, where there's a decent-sized Catholic population, Republicans have often cherry-picked away a few uh, older Catholic Democrats, white Catholic Democrats, uh, on on issues like third trimester. And I'm just saying that in a pure, like, like amoral political space <laughs> yeah, rather I than know. the issue itself. I know you are. And I part of me, like, we have to do a special episode on this because I think it's worth talking through— a very special episode. A very special episode. Rick and Anna discuss the unspeakable things. Yeah, um, <laughs> because I think I have some. I suspect I have some things to say that maybe you haven't heard, um, which I know sounds impossible. I know you've heard every argument under the sun, but I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think I, I'll just go ahead and spit out this part, which is I think one problem for the Democrats in this arena, one problem for the country, is that it has become a moral discussion and not a medical discussion. Like, it, it is really difficult sure. to frame these things in terms of, of medical need. And right. until we can get people thinking that way, or, or at least have a consideration of that, I do think it's going to be very hard to make that argument. Well, um, I think you're right. And I, and I think, you know, and, and I've, I've, even before the Trump era, I tried to counsel a lot of Republican candidates in blue and purple areas, and, and frankly, even in some red state areas, that you know, you can't just make this look like you're doing this punitive thing that only affects women who are generally speaking not doing this for fun. Right. And not doing this just because it's birth control. Those are the edge cases for the most part. I would and, say even smaller. And, I mean, edge, edge. Yeah. I mean, those are not statistically yeah, speaking, right. those are incredibly rare cases. No one does it for yeah. fun, by the way. That's just a fucking no, urban right. legend. Yeah, I'm, I'm using that phrase. I know. You know I'm just uh, I'm just getting you're just you're punching a lot of buttons, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> As I do. But you know, the the idea that that you just leave people hanging and there's and the only message is no, you can't. And it's not if you don't we'll help you or if you if you need access to birth control, we're okay with that. Mm. There are a lot of layers in here where where there could be a oh god, I hate saying it where there could be a sensible middle ground <laughs> where we could talk this through as adults <laughs> and come to a social conclusion. But look, I mean, America came to a kind of cold war on abortion a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the politicians or the evangelicals or the folks you know who are who are the you know absolutists on either side of the question. America came to a truce on it a long time ago. America is not going to make abortion a forbidden practice again. Some states may be trying to, but uh, socially, well, hang on, just this is a thirty thousand foot thing. Okay, from from a million focus groups, Americans believe that abortion has a role to play in the spectrum of medical issues. Okay, but for the most part. They're not enthusiastic about it. And so there is a place here where it doesn't have where, – where it isn't so politically fraught. But right now, it's still you know, fairly politically fraught, especially because as we've narrowed down who the base of the Trump Republican Party is and it's become – vastly more evangelical. I mean, the foreign policy folks and and the economic folks and the individual liberty folks sort of eh, out the door. But the social conservatives are now the core of it. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a danger that Trump is going to very – is going to push very aggressively on this because it stokes what is – what remains of the Republican base. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, let's move on to impeachment. Uh, and yet maybe what was seeming like a tangent into a discussion of reproductive rights actually is about impeachment because I, I mean, you might have to talk me down again. <laughs> this might be a talk on, Rick talks on a down uh, episode because I'm your Huckleberry. I am feeling so pessimistic that any of this will make any fucking difference. And well, <laughs> I almost hate to say that out loud because I know people who listen to this network have a lot of hope and they need it. And you need to have hope and optimism to get out there and knock on doors and donate money. Yep. And everyone should be doing that. <laughs> but Anna, p- p- that that is one of the features of a person and a and of a and of a authoritarians like Trump. Right. They want to break you and make you feel at first anxious and then passive and then resigned. And 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 I'm officially talking you down right now because although Trump has a powerful set of advantages in this election, nobody is invulnerable. Nobody walks away from every single plane crash. And and the work that has to get put in requires people to not become resigned to the shit and not become merely passengers on this on on the Trump train to hell. Um, it's important to to never to never get yourself in a position where where it feels like you you know when you when you give up and stop swimming, you know, that's when you drown. And I should add that my personal philosophy on this is that if you, you that hope is an action. I've said this before. Mm-hmm. It's a very important part of my recovery and my faith. Sure. Hope is not necessarily a feeling. You can act out of hope. And that is actually for me like what where hope really comes from is when you do the thing that you know needs to be done even though you're mm-hmm. not sure it's going to make a difference. You know, hope in politics cannot be a strategy, <laughs> but it can be a motivator. And it can be something that 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 fills the sails. But you still have to do all the other technical things properly. You still have to do all the mechanical things of a campaign and of a movement properly. But look, people need hope. They need to believe that we can go past this 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 horrifying scumbag and the terrible things he's doing. And and look, I still believe that we are we're in enormous peril, but we're enormously resilient. And Americans will fuck up every single thing under the sun until we're absolutely forced at the last second, practically at gunpoint, to do the right thing. But we do in the end. And we, we, you know, the arc of the arc of our history is 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 often crooked, but we tend to get there in some muddled way. Okay, <laughs> I'll just finish it by saying. I think all of I, I believe in everything that you said, but the point I really want to drive home is the idea that one needs to row if you don't have hope as the wind behind your back. Like, yeah, you no look, you can't no just wait for the for wind. You can't wait to feel hope. Like, no, right? There's no excuse just, for hard work. Right, you gotta you, you gotta put the work in, and you might then feel hope. Actually, that's the that's the yeah. funny thing. Okay, 
I mean, <laughs> no, all right. We're gonna we're gonna take a break. I'm Never gonna... let bad people make you feel passive. It's 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 a trap, and and make you feel hopeless. It's a it's a trap. I agree. I agree. Okay, Rick. I think you've it talked me back from the ledge at the very least. I can see the I ledge do my best. from here, but I, I'm not up next to it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we are going to talk about impeachment. We are. The most fun subject ever. <laughs> I'll make it fun. You'll see. We'll be right back. <laughs> Third Love does bras differently. They believe that every woman deserves to feel comfortable and confident every day. And with the right kinds of support, I would say emotional and physical, they help her do this. I just got some more Third Love bras. In fact, I got them today. I While I was here recording, I got an email saying that your shipment has arrived. I'm excited. <laughs> Anyone who's listened to the show for any amount of time knows that they've been a longtime sponsor and I've been a longtime fan. They are the most comfortable bras I own. There are lots of thoughtful details, like their half-size cups, and also their fit finder, which you can use to find the perfect fit without going to a department store and having to undress in front of someone that you don't know and have that person touch you in places where you might not want to be touched by a stranger. Uh, they have t-shirt bras. They have uh, halters. They have bralettes as well. Um, they have everything that you would need in a bra wardrobe, basically. And they know there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering my listeners 15% off their first order. Go to thirdlove.com friends to find the perfect fitting bra. Get 15% off your first purchase. Thirdlove.com friends for 15% off today. Quip, the makers of the Quip electric toothbrush, want you to know there is one single discovery that matters the most for your dental care, and it is brushing your teeth. Surprise! Brushing your teeth for two minutes twice a day, flossing regularly, no matter what brand you use, that's going to be what makes a difference. Where Quip comes in is that it's actually like a pleasant experience to use this toothbrush. It is designed in a way that, you know, it looks more like probably the other stuff you have in your house that's well-designed and not, you know, a piece of plastic. It has a suction cup holder that sticks onto your mirror and also works as a travel cover so you can continue to brush with something that's pleasingly designed when you are on the road. Now, how does it actually work? Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer that gives 30-second pulses to guide you to a full and even clean. They also have a new floss dispenser that comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough. In case you're like me, I usually draw like about a yard of dental floss, so I, I don't do that anymore. Plus, Quip delivers a fresh brush head, floss, and toothpaste to your door every three months with free shipping, so your routine is always kind of planned out just right. You're never brushing with an old toothbrush. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash friends, you'll get your first refill for free. That's first refill free at getquip.com slash friends, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends. Rick, would you like to play a game? I would love to play a game, Anna. So this game is called Impeachment Shuffle. And you may—we're not actually keeping score. Like all the best games, there is no score. Uh, right. There's just the sense of disappointment or victory that you can provide yourself. <laughs> <laughs> 
These are quotes about impeachment, the mm-hmm. different impeachments we've had in the 20th and 21st century. Just uh, there's I think there might be a Nixon one here. There's mainly Clinton and Trump. You I don't think you'll be able to necessarily identify the exact speaker of every quote. But please, if you can tell me which impeachment it applies to. And if you like, you can take a stab at the source of the quote. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. Our nation is indeed at a crossroads. Will we pursue the search for truth or will we dodge and weave and evade the truth? The allegations are grave. The investigation is legitimate. And ascertaining the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the unqualified, evasive truth is absolutely critical. That would be the Clinton impeachment. And I believe that would be, at the time, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell. Wow. I mean, you may be reading up on this, but yes, that is correct. Ding, ding. Okay. I have an obligation to the people of the 1st District of Ohio to stop the misuse of congressional power to advance a partisan agenda. I will vigorously oppose this impeachment because I believe that in the people's house, we should be focused on doing the people's business. The 1st District. That, um, I think that's the current, uh, I think that's from this from this iteration of the uh, of the impeachment wars. Am I wrong? It is. You want to take okay. a stab at the at who the, said it? You know what? I I I know I know Jordan's not the first district. Not Jim Jordan is is I will accept. It was Steve Chabot. Steve Steve Chabot. Right. Yep. It's, that's the that's the first. That's all right. That's right. right. Perjury and obstruction of justice are public crimes that strike at the heart of the rule of law and therefore our freedom in America. That's from the Clinton impeachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my, that is. Uh, uh, I can't remember. I think it might be Newt, though. Mike Crapo, the Mike Crapo, okay, from okay, from, Idaho from, under from Clinton. Idaho, yeah. All right. His misdeeds have caused many to mistrust elected officials. Cynicism is swelling among the grassroots. His breach of trust has eroded the public's faith in the office of the presidency. Um, you know that. Damn, that one's familiar. Cynicism has swelled among the grassroots. Um, I'm going to still go with Clinton impeachment. That is Chuck Grassley, dear dead, Republican senator from Iowa, about Clinton. Yes. Assume impeachment dead. (laughs) All right. Um, We're here because of a five-year relentless, unending investigation of the president. That's well. It's we haven't gone into five years yet, have we? Oh, oh my damn god! It. It's been going that fucking long. Yeah, I guess that's a big hint. Yeah, so it has to be <laughs> that. And that <laughs> that has to be Clinton. It is. It's Dale Bumpers, a Democratic senator from Arkansas. From Arkansas, yes, yeah. indeed. Um. Who among us can understand the propriety of impeachment, or of anything really? To be determined, I don't know. It's been a crazy year. Oh, that sounds so of the moment. <laughs> it sounds it sounds so of the moment. But I can't tell you who said it. It is indeed regarding Trump. Uh, Pat Roberts, senator from Kansas. Oh, poor Pat. One needs only a bit of folksy wisdom to understand the propriety of impeachment. 
We know that you don't urge hiding legal evidence under the bed unless you want to affect the outcome of a legal proceeding. The president did so. Um, hiding evidence under the bed. That is so familiar also. I'm, I'm, I feel like history doesn't just repeat. It sings in – I'm going to go with Clinton. It is and Clinton. And I'm going to go – It is. And I'm going to go with – that was – damn. I, I wasn't spending much time in D.C. during the Clinton impeachment because I was working for Rudy, <laughs> which has all its own historical and ironic resonances. Yes. I'll, I'll tell you, that is actually, again, Pat Roberts. Oh, okay. I love okay. that he, the propriety of impeachment apparently very much on his mind in two very different ways. You know, there, there, there's a, a rich, a rich um, vein of, uh, a rich vein of crazy that, that these guys still think that the internet doesn't exist and that LexisNexis doesn't exist and that no one's going to dig up their quotes from the past. Yeah. I feel like that's part of the largest crowd at inauguration ever, period, legacy. That Sure. That the alternative facts post-truth era relies on, on just blowing more shit up and racing ahead so you can pretend that nothing, has, nothing matters from the past. I, on that note, I'm tempted just to read you a string of Lindsey Graham quotes. <laughs> well, you know, I think we all know that Lindsey is um, – is a person whose performative Trumpism has reached uh, uh, reached a level now that defies even the most lurid imaginings. Mm. I mean, and I look, I know the the filing deadline is coming up in South Carolina in a few weeks, and and that's something that I do know from his people has been very much on his mind. He doesn't want Trump to turn on him and tweet instead of Lindsey Graham. You should put someone who will be really loyal to me. But it's a perfect example of why he scares the shit out of these guys. They know that no matter how many times they've been, you know, kissed his boots and his ass, they know no matter how many times they say, oh, he's the greatest president ever, the minute anything happens that he even vaguely looks at cross-eyed, it's gone. It's over. He, I mean, Lindsey Graham's looking at his, his buddy Matt Gates, who has been thrown off the Trump island. Yeah, I, I mean— Every there's a book title that's that's uh, just, it's on the tip of my tongue. What what is it? Um, well, yes, it's 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 the 2018 bestseller. Everything Trump touches dies by Rick Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's never met a deal he won't you know uh, walk out of. He's never had a business right. partner that he wouldn't fuck over. Uh, Correct. It is. I think even his own children are expendable to him. I I think that. We have not seen the bottom, which is, I know, a very scary thing to say, but it is just true. Um, I think the only—all right, I'm going to give you one last question, and then we're going to mm -hmm. just talk about impeachment. Okay, ready? <laughs> okay. You can put all of the admissible evidence in half of one book. Most of this is just material. It's not evidence, and it may never surface in the Senate because it's not evidence. Simple theories are inadequate. That is not evidence. Oh, that's that's from that's from right now. I, it was a trick question. It's actually from Nixon's impeachment. No, <laughs> I wanted to end. I, I I wanted to end on history does both repeat and rhyme. Sometimes it's a you chorus. stumped me on that one. I did. I I wanted to be able to do a, to stump you on at least one. Rick, thanks for playing impeachment shuffle. You bet. 
let's face it, most New Year's resolutions are hard to keep. That is why I do not make them. I make New Year's intentions. Uh, And in that way, I've been a little more successful. But there is a resolution that is easy to keep. Stop wasting time at the post office. Use stamps.com instead. It saves you time and money. And maybe you can use that time and money to get ahead on the other intentions that you might have. Uh, Get more exercise. Hire a trainer. Read more. That's always on my list. With Stamps.com, you can do anything you want to do at the post office right from your computer. Plus, Stamps.com gives you something you cannot get at the post office, discounts. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer, whether you're a small office sending invoices like me, an online seller shipping out products, or even a warehouse sending out thousands of packages a day. Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time and money that can be put to other, maybe self-care uses. It is no wonder that over 700 small businesses already use Stamps.com. So give yourself a resolution or an intention that you can already keep. Stop going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There is no risk, and you can use my promo code FRIENDS to get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale, no long-term commitments or contracts. Go to Stamps.com, click on the podcast microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's Stamps.com, promo code FRIENDS. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Let's talk tactics here because that's what your specialty is. How the fuck do we get witnesses in the Senate? Well, look, uh, I suspect that while Mitch McConnell's shield wall is nearly impervious, I know right now that the Republicans are seeing this private polling is seeing the same numbers that the public polling is showing. And it's not even close about what the voters want for witnesses and impeachment. It's not even close. It's a huge margin. It's like 72 to 18 want to see witnesses and evidence. And and there's a understanding that as powerful as the hold of Trump and McConnell is, that at some point the show will be over, but the story will keep developing. And it's important to t- keep reminding these senators that with every Trump scandal, you never hit the bottom. There's never a moment in a Trump saying. scandal. <laughs> yes, you, exactly. There's never an end. There's never a moment where you find some document that exonerates Trump in any of these things. It always gets worse. It always gets more stinky and 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 more complex and horrible. So these guys have to know that, you know, Trump came out yesterday and said, yeah, I obstructed justice. Basically, I have the documents. They don't. Ha ha. Mm. That's an admission of guilt. And they're, these Republican senators are going to be the ones who are stuck holding the bag, holding the shit into the stick, as they say, um, when this is over. They're going to be the ones who, who, who have to say, yeah, well, I voted to cover it all up because, you know, I didn't want him to tweet about me. <laughs> I didn't want to I didn't want to have a primary so I had to lie and cover it all up and pretend nothing had happened. And but their pollsters are seeing what the public polling is showing a rising number of people who want to see this thing handled fairly and not as a, a sort of throwaway um you know Mitch McConnell led cover up. And corruption as I've written about a lot is a killer app in campaigns. Corruption really, really, really makes voters furious. And the people who are covering it up 
are the ones who take an even harder hit. You know, the the 49 Republicans who lost their seats in the House in 1974 were not were not part of the Watergate conspiracy, but they were Nixon's most passionate defenders. The mm-hmm. eight senators that year, same story. 1980, same story. 1994, the Democrats were like, oh, who cares about the House Bank and the House Post Office? Voters don't care about little tiny corruption like that. And then a Speaker of the House was blown out and 54 Democrats lost their seats. 2006, Republicans were like, well, you know, we're not going to we're, – we're not part of Enron, but we're defending the system of Enrons. And voters blew them out. So – this is a historical lesson that repeats, and those are just you know a few of the high 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 notes. This is a historical pattern that repeats, and and I do think there are enough Republicans who are aware of this that at the minimum McConnell is having to wait to work mightily behind the scenes to keep the, the cats all herded into one direction. And this is where I can maybe bring our conversation full circle because I feel like the response to that from a cynic is, but judges. Sure. Because they've, okay, I mean, again, we should do a special episode on on the rhetoric of life, you know, and judges and whatnot. Because I feel like, I know there there are people who have sincere and earnest beliefs along these lines. And again, special episode, another conversation. But I also feel like the but judges line is a cover. But it's a really good one. It is. The butt judges line represents a very broken part of the psyche of the Republican Party of today. And in the beginning of the major fights over judges, which is which honestly stretches back to the late 1970s, there was this perception by Republicans that the entire bench was stocked with hard left liberals who were always trying to legislate from the bench and and that that was the worst possible thing a judge could do. A judge should interpret the Constitution and the law, and that's it. And that itself is a, is a, a historical interpretation, as I'm of course. sure you know. Of course. I'm, I'm just I'm, Okay, I'm you're, just, you're, speaking the, their, you're speaking for them. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you their argument. They – by the 90s, that had become a point of what I refer to as judicial fetishism. And – Republicans turned out, just like they didn't want a fair and balanced media, they wanted their own pet media. They don't want judges who interpret the Constitution and the law. (laughs) They want judges who check box ideological end goals, particularly evangelicals. Yeah. Because the the weird, weird conceit of evangelicals who are still the plurality religious group in this country, the largest individual block of 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 religious practice still comes down basically to a whole cluster of different evangelical movements, Protestant evangelical movements. They feel aggrieved and they feel put upon and they feel terrified and they feel like the world is crashing around them and they've lost the battles over all the things that matter. They feel like they lost the battle over abortion and they lost the battle over gay marriage. And and so they're not looking to persuade people. Mm -hmm. They're not looking to change hearts. They're looking for a shortcut from the bench, and they're hoping that this one massive push – and it's and look, without Mitch McConnell and Leonard Leo having an amazingly disciplined game plan to do this 
it would have never happened. Donald Trump doesn't know any of these judges. He has no judicial philosophy of his own. But they have executed a brilliant, whether you love it or hate it. And honestly, as a conservative, I don't really care for it because I don't think judicial fetishism in either direction is for the good of the country. Well, and also some of these people are incompetent. I mean, that's oh, well, that <laughs> now that is the yeah, you you do know by now that they've like selected all the qualified. The good ones came out pretty early. Yeah, and now it's guys from like the you know East Jabip School of of Dairy Science and Law. Um, <laughs> they're not. They're not. They're not sending their best. Yes, if you, yes. If you take uh, some my of them meaning. I'm sure are good people, but yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I'm heartened to hear you say that because I do think that what the—I shouldn't say Trump, but what Mitch McConnell and, and, uh, is doing to the judiciary isn't conservative. It is a—just a pure and simple power play, right? Yep. Uh, yep. And also, I think that it gets down—I think you said that evangelicals are looking for a shortcut to power or a shortcut to the things they want to accomplish. They're, they, they know they're never going to legislatively— Oh, I think it's different marriage. than that. I think there's something a little bit different than that. It's not a shortcut. It's a path. I mean, it's a path to power. Because if you put enough – I don't know – I don't think that your average evangelical around the block is necessarily thinking this, but I am pretty damn sure that the leaders are, which is that if you put <clears throat> oh, enough oh, of these – Oh, I, I think the activists absolutely right. If you put enough this. of these judges in power, they're going to strike down voting rights acts. They're going to, like, let poll taxes come about. They're going to restrict women's rights to a very, like, we might not go full handmaiden, but, you know, like, bad. And if you do that, evangelicals can hold power. Like, it's not just like they're looking to do what they can while they can because they feel defeated on all these other fronts. Like, they have a strategy in mind to, some of them truly believe this is God's plan. Like, they literally believe that a close to yeah, theocratic government is what they're supposed to be doing. Well, and you see the, the, that speech by Bill Barr where he came so close to that uh, that I, I was – it was breathtaking. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, dude, you're the attorney general of the United States. But then again, I realized, oh, it's Bill fucking Barr. Mm. <laughs> what about was I thinking? <sighs> OK, now I see him. The ledge is getting closer, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> the ledge. Oh, the ledge. Um I'm sorry. The ledge is always with us, but we just have to fight our way through. Yeah, no, I, I can I can also choose to back away. Um so what are you looking for? Let's let's wrap this up, but but what are you looking for in these impeachment hearings, Rick? Like what is why should we watch and what should we be watching for? Or why are you watching at least? Well, what I'm watching for in the impeachment hearings is not the inevitable flame out. I'm watching for the fact that these members of the Senate have sat there quietly and they've heard the case made. They cannot go back home and deny they heard this case made. Mm-hmm. It's going to be much more difficult for them to just say, oh, I, I, I thought it was about the server and Burisma and then to Joe Biden. They're, they're not going to be able to do that. There's been a TikTok presented to them. There's been a there's been a schedule, a calendar, a timeline presented to them now, and evidence presented to them. Even in the run up, the evidence that they've seen now is in the record. They can't deny it now. Did you or did you not hear? Did you di- or did you not know about the testimony that was presented and the evidence that was presented? So, I want to see how that gets weaponized, and it needs to be. 
And the other thing is, you know, work is always a good thing. And I really believe that the Democrats need to be burning down the phone lines of these guys so they're hearing it. I mean, look, congressional offices have one of two postures when it comes to, you know, voter contact. Either they avoid it at all costs and pretend it's not happening, or it's so big and it's so intense that their aides and their staffers are freaking the hell out and saying, you know, we're getting calls from the district or from our state, and it's 100 to 1 against. And that energy, bringing that energy in the next few days, frankly, is vital, I think, to make to to continue to like form the cracks in the McConnell dam. It may not be possible to blow it up. It may not be possible to break it. But one of the theories of the case that McConnell has, I've heard this from somebody inside that world, is the reason he's doing these votes is if he loses one, he feels like the whole thing could fall apart very, very quickly. He's not happy. He's spending a ton of time handholding Romney and Murkowski and Collins and and Gardner and everybody else, and and they're also worried that the outside pressure that can be brought on these guys may cost them the Senate. Mm. And if Mitch McConnell, by the way, and I've said this before, I think I saw, I think I told you this before, if Mitch McConnell, for one minute, believes that Donald Trump will cost him the Senate, he'll throw him over. He'll kill him right then and there. It'll be done. The minute Mitch McConnell gets a poll back that shows Gardner, McSally, Tillis losing, Collins losing, it's over. He will throw Donald Trump over the cliff that minute. He knows he can survive with a Democratic president, but he can't survive without a majority. All right. You heard it from Rick. If you want to call your representative, House member or Senate member, you can call the Capitol switchboard. It is. 202-224-3121. I don't have it quite memorized, but if you need a sweatshirt, let's say, that has that number on it, you can buy it at crooked.com. Rick, I might gift you one of those shirts just so you can, like, point at your chest when you're on your book tour, let's say. I I would do that. I would absolutely – I would rock that. (laughs) Then you got it. I am getting one of those in the mail to you, and I demand evidence that you're wearing it. You will have it. All right. (laughs) All right, Rick, thank you for stopping by. We will have you back again soon. Hopefully, A pleasure as always, Annis. Keep the faith. (laughs) Thank you so much. 